and we're recording. Okay. Get my timer going. Hello, adventurers, and welcome to the Mike Flares podcast, coming to you from somewhere dark, damp, and devoid of hope. No, it's not your mom's basement. It's nether deep. <laughs> I'm your host, Connor O'Brien, and joining me as always is my co-host, Martin O'Dwyer. I like I like that one a lot. I actually <laughs> like that. I, I was expecting some other kind of nerd pun, but I know I was not expecting from your mom's basement, which is just perfect. Like, let's go. Yeah. Damp, dark, and devoid of hope. The, the nether deep is when your mom's ba- when your mom's basement floods. <laughs> That's how the nether uh, yeah, deep forms. Basically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you notice dampness, dampness in your basement, get that checked out because you know mold can form. Yeah. Uh, how are you today, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm a uh, I'm a little sore from gym stuff and stuff, but it's been a it's been a fun week. Um, D and D's going well. Uh, curriculum, new curriculum rule book is very fun. Um, and yeah, just uh, oh, I also. I think I'm finally up to date on season three of Critical Role. I was like two, three episodes behind, but I watched like two episodes, I think last week and one this week. So I think I'm up to date. I think I'm up to date. I'm really, really enjoying this campaign, actually. I also went to the gym this morning for the first time in a couple of weeks. Um, just because, yeah, I know. I I, I, well I was, man, I, I had a really good stretch there when I first started. And there was even a point where I was going like three times a week. And I'm like, this is ideal. If I can just do it like three days a week, perfect. I'm getting a little bit of cardio in. I'm not doing like a lot of weight stuff or anything like that, but just a little bit to be like active more mm-hmm. so than anything else. Um, and yeah, and I was really enjoying it. And then like before Christmas, I had a whole thing where my cat was unwell. So like that was like multiple trips to the vet in a week and like driving up to Galway uh, to like visit a specialist and all this other stuff. And after like two weeks or two and a half weeks of dealing with that, we were just out of the habit entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after christmas i'm like i'm gonna get right back into it and then i just uh, yeah my motivation's just been kind of shot but i went today i'm gonna try and get back into it proper i'm behind on critical role significantly but it's only because i'm i my 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 youtube is weird right now my youtube is uh i've i've gone down some different rabbit holes i would normally go down and now my my algorithm is suggesting all this stuff to me Mm. and i'm just like i'm like i watched one video about like dead space and the lore of dead space but now it's all dead space content yeah and like it can be i i I'm like it's it's basically dead space content um the occasional D lore video and uh also i'm getting like a lot of like reaction stuff as in like yeah. first time watching this movie or whatever because i'm you, you and i are both crack fiends for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah that's 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 definitely a good term for it yeah no yeah. My, mine is kind of similarly ruined because I did the whole thing where I was watching Vox Machina and then I would go back and watch other people watch it for the first time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now if I click on the home button where it'll like, give you your recommendations, it'll just be like, these 36 channels that are now doing Legend of Vox Machina um, reaction slash reviews, uh, this video I've seen like 13 times already and like 14 videos about like medieval history and combat. <laughs> yeah, I've done a weird, uh, a weird kind of thing during the week because I was thinking about like, uh my my homebrew world as you know is kind of like based in in a technological equivalent of like the 1800s it's like it's well maybe a little bit more um not quite accurately the 1800s but like bows crossbows and firearms like like breech load firearms Mm. all exist in my in my world and i was like why would you use any of those like what what are the different kind of purposes that you would use them and stuff like that so i went into like a bit of research on that and i went down this really big rabbit hole of different types of guns and how crossbows evolved over time and stuff Mm -hmm. like that um and like bows are like good in like 
kind of good in like close quarters, like relatively good in close quarters, because you can load a bow very fast, but a crossbow you have to like put your foot on and crank yeah. it back and everything. So bows went out right there. Uh, but then bows are not very accurate over long range. The, the advantage of a bow is you can fire like a volley of arrows into a crowd of people and you're almost guaranteed to hit someone. Mm. But if you're talking about whether or not you're trying to hit a single target from like, like think about um when, oh, uh, what's his name? The uh, Game of Thrones, uh, North. Oh, um, Ramsey. Ramsey. Uh, when Ramsey was shooting uh, the Rickon. youngest. Rickon, thank you. Um, he was using a bow, yeah. but like he was really far away, and I get like that was an well, English like, Lambo. <laughs> like, no, talking about yeah. I did, like in, ter- in terms of like the actual distance a Lambo can cover, absolutely very yeah. very long range. Accuracy over long range, yeah. not so much. That's like, why he they would... put clusters of them together and had them all shoot exactly the one valley. That's why they fired exactly. in valleys. Yes, and that's why they fired in valleys because yeah, because you were more and like, there was a psychological element to it as well because it was meant to like if you see a hail of arrows come down and yeah. like. 20 people around you just drop dead it's scary like, I'm just running um, 300 lines in my head now our arrows will black out the sun so we will fight in the shade <laughs> oh so good like, so good that's a that's a that's that's a historic that was like historic I, I think I remember right that's like an actual thing a Spartan said to a Persian when they said that oh really yeah 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 because the Spartans really like they were warriors but they really prided themselves on being witty and like be the right. to, like <laughs> no seriously like the because I, oh, I think no, my Greek history is not phenomenal. Um, so but like from what I remember of it, um, because I watched a bunch of like the real truth of three hundred Spartans when I was like fourteen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, from what I remember, it was like they were trained as warriors from a very very early age, obviously with the agogo and stuff like that. But there was also quite a an, an awful lot of importance put on intelligence and being able to debate each other and like being and like sarcasm and wittiness were like really highly prized. So like that that's it. I th- from if I remember right, and I please someone correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I think that is actually like a historically recorded thing that a Spartan said to a Persian. That's pretty badass line yeah. to be fair. Yeah, it is pretty uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and then like so that's bows, mm-hmm. bows, and, and also bows are quite quiet as well. That's, so that's one thing I was going to say. Bows are yeah. silent. Yeah. Uh, and then like uh, crossbows, I was like, what's the what's the kind of advantage of a crossbow? Crossbows were power. used to break. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry? Power. Power. They're more accurate on like if you if it's one person firing at one person over long range, they're more accurate than a bow. Um they they don't have as as long of range, but they will hit more accurately over a slightly shorter range. Yeah. Um they also they were used to break cavalry charges. So whereas like you could fire a, a volley of arrows, but the thing is a lot like you're not gonna hit the, specifically the front line like remember when they Rohirrim were charging yeah. at Pelennor Fields you'll see guys all dotted around the place their horses were going down and they were buckling and stuff but like the main charge still remained yeah. what you want if you have a line of crossbowmen is you want to fire at that front line so they all go down at once and then all the horses behind them have to like adjust or they might trip over and then it's a whole like our the yeah. charge is broken we have to like reform and try again you know um, and, and muskets kind of had a similar thing like that as well where if you were charging into a line of muskets, they would break that front line of the charge, which would just ruin the entire charge yeah. for the oncoming they, cavalry. They'd put a line of pikemen before either the musketeers or the archers as well. Uh, yes. Well, no, not if you were doing... Uh, not with musketeers, because I think by that Sorry, time they had like they had bayonets and stuff by that yeah. by that point. Yeah, it's uh, But like with archers, but yeah. they'd yeah, be like absolutely. pikes, archers, and then infantry. Bikes in front, archers behind. <laughs> 
Um, can we not, like, can I, we I, turn anything into a movie quote? Let's try. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I, I it's kind of a really interesting deep dive in that kind of stuff because I I regularly re- revisit the idea of guns in D and D because I want to have them be justify justifiably useful in my world. Yeah, that they're not too expensive that no one's going to use them. But I'm like, why would you use one over the other? And I think I came to the conclusion that you could feasibly use each of them in the same period of time, but for different purposes. You know, like I'm almost completely certain there was at least a period of time where those three would have all been in existence in use together at the same time. Yeah, see, the thing is, like, I, I like when I think of like muskets, because like, like swords and firearms were historically in use together at the oh, same yeah. time as well. Like, I mean, swords were in use up until like World War One. Oh so, yeah, but like, like, as in like a primary weapon. Uh yeah, no, no, I mean like what they would like if you even look at like the like, the American Civil War, yeah, they yeah. had like breached up weapons where they would fire maybe once, maybe they do one other reload and fire again, and by that time the charging enemy are on top of you, so you're like, right, guns away, swords out, it's it's up close time, you yeah. know? Or bayonets. Um or bayonets, yeah, often yeah. there's a mounted bayonets on the front. Uh but yeah, no, it's uh it's interesting, like and I think it's you can No <laughs> Please don't tell me Connor's frozen. Um, no <laughs> No, make a, but they, they can be they can all be like part of the same period i went uh my, my audio went there didn't it and video yeah yeah about i'll say five seconds maybe <laughs> ten maybe uh basically what i was trying to say is that guns yeah. guns crossbows and bows can all be useful yes in D&D. they totally maybe can we'll, maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point anyone about... can anyone can make a bow and arrow if they have access to wood and tools if you want to make mm-hmm. a crossbow that's a bit more expensive but you get a lot more power and accuracy out of it but it's less expensive than a gun which gives you more power and more accuracy but it's way more expensive and also way louder than the other previous two it also is like bows require more training they're yes. easier to make and far far cheaper to make but they require more training crossbows the reason the whole thing about a crossbow is you don't need to hold the, the arrow yeah. you can literally just point it hit the little switch and bang the the, the bolt or the, or the bullet's you know gonna fly so you know that's one thing i'm surprised i've never seen anyone do in D. Mm. make like a modern recurve bow in D D. like one of those ones where you draw it and you can and like click and lock in the string and like you can take you could like take your hand off the string and it's locked oh that's a that's a compound sorry no you can't take your hand off the string i don't think but yeah like like, but like, like, like i'm surprised i've like i've literally never seen anyone even float the idea of making like a modern compound bow in D because yeah. you could totally do it you could totally goddamn do it just make it steampunk there, yeah absolutely i mean oh yeah you could do like a gnome or a like, dwarf who any, has like, like a steampunk bow if you've ever gnome. even looked at those modern like hunting like hunter bows like but they have these all these like wheels and pulleys and stuff on them so that you can lock the string in place for the shot like and like easy re- just reflavor that with like gears and cogs and stuff for magic whatever you want to do that would be awesome that would be so sick yeah. if i was if i was like in a part in a one shot with someone and they were like they were like oh yeah i'm an archer where's your bow and they pulled out like a hawkeye bow where he can like fold it out and stuff <laughs> like yeah that would, i would like that's the sickest thing i've ever seen there was a really throwaway, a really throwaway scene in like season three of Arrow on CW, where he was going to like face down the the League of Assassins, um, and he literally like he he just been on a plane to whatever country they were in, and he was walking up to the entrance to their temple, their main home base or whatever, and he pulled out what looked like a little orb, 
and he just kind of clicked it in his hand. It's about the size of like, it's about double the size of a tennis ball. And he clicked a little button and the whole thing just unfolded into a bowl. <laughs> it, was, it was really dumb. It made no sense, but it was a cool, it was a cool scene to watch. At least with the Hawkeye one, the whole conceit is that it's like, it's a thing and he can use it like a bow staff as well because the limbs like fold up and become like it, rigid steel, like a rigid steel yeah. thing. And like, he, I, I, that, I always thought that was really sick. God, man, Hawkeye's a lot cooler than people give him credit for. Particularly if you've watched the show. The show is awesome. The show is very good. Yeah. The show is very, very good. That, uh, uh, that final scene where they're making trick arrows, that was like so... I was like, this is like such a... What's... The, why can I... Artificer. This is like such artificer stuff. Where you're like, you've like a table of arrowheads and you're like, okay, let's get to work. It is, it is absolutely what the arcane archer should be, but is not. Connor has um, strong feelings on the arcane archer. I brought, I won't bring it up now. I brought it up before. I just I I it's it's a really really good concept, and I love that there's a a fighter subclass that's like this is the fighter archer subclass. Um, I just feel like there's a this, it's it's underpowered mm. and uh, and and you don't get to use your abilities very often and, and a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, we should do, have we done it? Have we done that? We an episode where we're just like it, all of our problems with five e. <laughs> Next week. Uh, we could do, we could do. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe we'll see. De- it, it, that we'll, that's we'll, definitely we'll getting on the definitely added to the list for sure. That'll be that'll be actually a really fun one. It'll just be yeah. me. It'll just be me ranting about fucking melee classes for like twenty minutes. <laughs> it'll, it'll be me harping on about the arcane archer and the elemental Element monk. Yeah, yeah. And it would have been the the ranger had not been for the, all the Tasha's fixes. And now ranger I think is one of probably one of the more powerful classes. Actually, no. It'll be an hour of me talking about strength bows. Oh, strength bows, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got a good 20 minutes of me doing that in a previous episode before. You're right, though. I mean, like, bows, bows take a lot of upper body, like, shoulder and, like, bicep strength to no, draw it's your, and hold. it's your back muscles. You draw a bow with your back muscles. That's mean, like shoulder, like, back here. You're, oh, like, no, you're drawing like, like Oh, that. yeah. No, but, like, it's the bigger back muscles that pull. That's why you... No, sorry, that's an English longbow. Sorry, yeah. And we it's... just established I don't go to the gym as often yeah. as you, so I don't know all the muscles. <laughs> I, I assume I don't... they're everywhere, but I don't know. I, do, I don't know this from the gym. I know this from watching a um, historical medieval combat channel on YouTube, so I reaffirm my nerd status. Um, oh, yeah? It's, like, to draw an English longbow, you can't draw it with your arms. You have to like you have to you're supposed to like hold out and you have to, you kind of hold it like that and you go like this and like use the muscles of your back to pull it because it's got such a ridiculously heavy draw rate draw weight. Okay, this is the last thing before we move on to the actual topic of today's yeah. uh, episode. Did you ever see that how um, Japanese archers draw theirs? Yes, the... where they like they knock it and they raise it and they yeah. bring both down at the same time. I think it's called oh god, it begins with K. It's not no Kondo is a uh, is like a different style of weapon. I know the name for this. It's it's like Kyushi. I think it's Kyushi. It's a like Kyushi. I'm, right, hang on. Like, Just, you Google. You Google. Stall and I'm good. Kyushi Archer. I'm, uh, I'm stalling right now. This is how I stall. Stall, stall, stall. I was, I was so close. I was so goddamn close. It's, what is it? It's like Kyushu. Kyushu. What is Japanese Archer called? Kudo. Yeah, Kudo. Oh. I was so goddamn close. Goddamn it. Uh, it's, uh, but it's really cool. Especially, uh, I've seen like, uh, shooting demonstrations of Japanese archers, and they'll do a thing where, like, they will they they get low, so they're usually on mm. one knee when they do it, and they do that, and they draw down and they fire, and then they go flat on the ground with one leg outstretched, and they will draw and knock, so they're down low, so that the back firing line can fire mm. over them cleanly. 
So that it'll be like rain of archers, ducks down, next one fires, they can stand back up again, you know? Have you ever seen, um, they do that as well, but for like, com- they do competition ones where they're on horseback. And what they is, is they have like a line of targets down a wall and they have a thing, almost like um, a list from a, a joust where it's like just a track the horse runs down. And yeah. literally let it go, they're going like full speed on the horse and they do the same, like draw it over their head, bring it down and there's like, let it go. And like, full gallop on a horse and the dude yeah. like this girl just comes out and goes boom and immediately like hits the bullseye I was like god damn like I don't has anyone ever been like drive-by ar- drive-by bow down like what's the term for that like a, a drive-by archery a gallop by <laughs> we'll workshop it yeah okay. <laughs> uh, that's actually no, that's another thing I got kind of down a rabbit hole on this week because I was looking up drive-by uh, shootings no, I was looking at like geopolitical stuff, like a okay. fellow who did an examination of the geo geopolitics of uh, Feyrun. I've watched that channel about... actually. Yeah, it's some good stuff. Mm. Uh, but there there was some stuff on it that was about like uh, like northern Asia and stuff like that, and all the wide open plains in Russia and like uh, and Mongolia and all this stuff, and why just they, they were basically like the the F-16s of their day because they were insanely fast on horseback, they could cover vast distances, and they were wicked accurate with a bow yeah it's like it's like a bunch of like much faster much cheaper much lighter like sherman tanks just rolling on in not even sherman tanks because sherman tanks weren't great historically uh the whatever the the german ones german tanks mm. were far superior in world war Two. uh um, german oh, crap what were they? uh no panzers. i can't i can't no pan, panzer is just the german word for tank oh is it yeah i, I feel like i should know that because i studied german in school uh, well studied yeah it is because um the the rocket launcher was called like the panzer panzer fire 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 panzer or something like that i just remember from uh, from cod um i had a point there oh yeah it was actually it was, now, it was called the panzer oh was it oh weird. the panzer four was the world war Two one straightforward either way look yeah but anyway we're, um, we're, we're gonna have topic martin yes uh a new book came out this week yes it did call of the yes, Neverdeep. Called the Netherdeep. In case you uh, you guys hadn't caught on by our intro, uh, yeah. So the Critical Role called the Netherdeep book mm-hmm. uh, arrived this week. Uh, it's actually pretty good. I'm quite I'm quite impressed with the content of it. Um, for like the first I, official like Critical Role D and D book as well. Uh, the first official adventure, adventure book. rather sorry adventure. Yeah, book. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, actually, speaking of though, because they you're kind of getting onto something I want to talk about there. This book, first of all, this book is a really cool story, good mm-hmm. setting. Uh, it's got interesting kind of uh, an interesting. How'd you call it? Format of play, I guess. Um, but one thing is that if you own the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, though these books pair beautifully mm-hmm. because uh, the the first two places you go in this book are uh, a place called Jigao, which is in uh, Jorhas, and also in Jorhas you also go to a place called Basilzan. Mm-hmm. Um, now Jigao was not visited in Campaign Two of Critical Role, mm-hmm. but Basilzan was. Yeah. Um, and you get to visit these two locations, but the thing is, if you have the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, you have access to way more information on both of these settlements, um, and could like very nicely flesh out the starting of uh, of these uh, adventures. Um, they pair quite nicely. There's a couple of things that this book has that I would have expected Wildmount to have. Mm. Uh, we can get into that later, but um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it's a good book, though. I'm honestly, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I really like the art. Yes. Um, one thing they did, and this is kind of a little, bit, a little bit of a deviation, but one thing they did that they haven't done in other books uh, I've seen thus, thus far, they have an Appendix E, which is story concept art, and it's just some like 
concept art of cities uh, and some of the bad guys and stuff like that in some of the characters it, it's Ooh. it's not a huge section but there's some really interesting cool looking stuff in here um and i really love it I, I i really hope they start doing this more often i think they did it in um now that i think about it i think they also did this in oh what's the underdark adventure i also forget the name of it uh the underdark one out of the abyss yeah out of the abyss they have a lot of uh, concept art at the back in out mm. of the abyss as well of like dwarven structures Ooh. and mind slayers and stuff like that sorry i just got to the concept art for the armor of the aurora watch oh that's nice <laughs> I, i'm literally sorry i'm just like i'm so in like yeah. fashion armor mode at the moment from playing Elden ring like just saw that and i was like oh, oh yeah oh. yeah i got some really sick armor last night actually oh my god <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a re some really sick armor and a great sword, roughly the size of a small bus. <laughs> oh my god! So okay, something I just noticed here. Go to the art of the rivals, and look at the goblin and look at his chest piece. Oh yeah, yeah. That it's it's the same on the um actual official art. I did not notice that before. And his he, um his chest piece is shaped yeah. like a D twelve. Yeah, because he's from the Church of the Luxon. Because he's from the Luxon, yeah. Yeah, he's got a his holy symbol is a D twelve. It's like a two D. Um, image I see. Of I saw that before. I saw his symbol before. Yeah. I did not see that his full chest plate is like it looks like an Iron Man chest plate. Almost, yeah. And you notice that his like his even his pauldrons are kind of slightly squared off as well. Yeah. Ah, oh, so good. Anyway, sorry, we're getting distracted by art that our listeners, uh, our viewers, can, uh, cannot see. So, um, so bang, let's get into uh, some stuff about Call yes. of the Deep and why it's actually a pretty. I I think this is a pretty solid adventure. I don't run. Um, most of the adventures we talked about this, talked yeah. about this before neither of us do we, really we, we do homebrew. we don't no we do homebrew stuff and we like we, we still buy these books because we like them for inspiration and, and the additional content like if they give you an extra class or yeah. some additional monsters or whatever stripping um, them for the crunch, parts as uh, James says. stripping them for parts um, which, which is uh, a very perfectly valid way to, to purchase and consume these books um, but this actually has a very interesting story and, and a, a quite I've described it to you a little while ago as being very palatable. Mm. I find like some adventures you pull from from D and D from Fifth Edition can be very dense, and yeah. it's it's a little cumbersome to try and see what the overall scope of the story is. We're having some slight technical issues again. I'm back now. There we go. Okay, God, ugh, this is gonna be annoying. Uh, Lots of editing keep... for you today. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna leave that in. I'm gonna... <laughs> oh, really? Because including me doing the rooster teeth, the rooster teeth technical difficulties music. <laughs> oh, well, that, that I might need to play, Baron. Thank you very much for that one. Um, <clears throat> okay, so as I was saying, um, I don't know what I was saying. I lost my place. You were um, saying oh, that the, oh, the adventure, story's very palatable. yeah, palatable because it's it's not quite so dense and you you kind of don't lose the thread of stuff. Exactly, and like. Uh, of all the adventures that are out there, one of the few adventures I find really good and very understandable, and, and, and from a DM perspective, I can get the full scope of it at a glance, is Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Yes. Um, it has a lot of options, but like it's a small story. It, it can it takes place within a relatively small area. Um, does you know the players, all the movers and shakers mm -hmm. in the story, pretty much right from the get go. Um, I think it's a really great adventure and. Uh, we've often said like if you were ever going to if you ever wanted to do a very first time playing D&D &D, running a pre-written adventure 
Dragon Heist is better than Last Man to Fandelver, mm. and it's better than most, most of the other suggested ones. I've heard the D&D Essentials adventure is quite good as well. Yeah. Um, like, I've, um, but, I have a couple of friends in work who are trying to talk, well, I have, I have said I will run a D&D game for them. Not a campaign, but, like, one-shots. So I'm just, yeah. I'm just putting that off till the time where I can find the time and energy to do that. Um, but like, uh, like I'm legit after reading this for our episode today, obviously. Um, and just because I like like these books anyway. But like after reading sort of the or the story overview and a quick flick through some of the chapters and stuff, like I'd be you know I'd, like I'm almost considering maybe doing this for that, so I so I don't have to make up anything new. <laughs> just so I don't have to like take that tiny little sliver of work off my plate. <laughs> if you uh, if you want to actually. And this is a bit off topic, but uh, with Waterdeep Dragon Heist, um, the the it's I think it's like five chapters. It's divided into mm. the first chapter is basically a standalone adventure, where mm. at the end of it, you're rewarded a, a tavern. Thank you. you <laughs> yeah, it, you you could and you could probably yeah. knock it out in a session. And there's a there's a dungeon crawl. There's a couple of combats. Um, there's some like intrigue with like bigger things going on and stuff, but it, it's all it, you could probably knock it out in a session if not two. Cool. Um, and it's really it's a really really good kind of self-contained story at the start of a slightly larger story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this uh, this story really really cool, really good setup and lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, um, the obviously Matt having his own world of Alexandria has its own kind of creation lore involving a pantheon of gods who were kind of once allied and then like fractured and broke into two different groups who fought each other uh in a war which was known as the calamity yes uh and with that the gods basically some of them were banished from the world and the rest of them kind of bowed out like we should just leave mortals alone yeah they built uh, a and... divine gate to keep the gods yeah. separate physically from the from the material bit exactly and uh and that that's been that way for like i think it's been a public about a thousand or so years. I think it's about fifteen hundred to a thousand years since that happened in worlds. Oh I, god! But I'm I'm guessing there. I I, I have vague uh, chronological ideas of that. I'm good on the um, general lore, not so much the exact timelines, which is a bit of a bit shameful for someone who likes history as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's kind of the setup of the world. Now, this adventure takes place, like I said, it starts off mm. in Jorhas. So if you're very familiar with Wildmount or Campaign Two of Critical Role, yes. uh, that's going to be a, a very familiar starting ground for you. And then following that, you go to um, the continent of Marquette, Marquette yeah. uh, and to the, the city of Ancarel. Um, I, the rest of it takes place in Ancarel, and in case the name Netherdeep uh, wasn't uh, wasn't enough of a hint for you, beneath Ancarel. Mm-hmm. Um, fair warning, actually, before you go any further, and we talked about this beforehand, yeah. uh, there will be some minor spoilers. I'm going to get into heavy story stuff, but there will be some like kind of overview yeah uh, ideas of the story and stuff here that we can't really talk too much about the book without giving into it like a little bit of the backstory of it and stuff like that yeah so like the story overview gives some pretty explicit spoilers for the big thing the big like the main thread main plot line of this of the module so we'll probably avoid going into that in too much depth but the basic outline of it is like as connor said you start in jorhas you arrive to jigo in Jigao, when you get there, there is a festival going on, and as part of this festival, um, is actually where you first encounter one of the new things from this book. If you want, if we maybe want to take a little side branch and talk about that for a bit, is um, you encounter a rival team of adventurers, who, who are started yeah. out in this book, and they do. What's really cool about them is they actually do level with you as you go through the tiers, because this, 
as an adventurer if you start it i believe it start at level three and it'll take you all the way to level 12 so it'll take you from yes. low tier to mid tier to basically right on the doorstep of the very high tier of D and um your uh rivals scale with you their stat blocks are from tier one tier two tier three which is really really cool they're all super interesting mm-hmm. and stuff um but sorry yes just um just to cap off the story thing before we might talk about the rivals a bit um yeah you arrive there you enter into a competition where you have to go and swim into this grotto and in this grotto there is a part there you can find a specific artifact that will give the player a vision that will send them on the quest yeah and that is that is the best i can do to not be really really spoilery about like the actual main thread of the game of the of the adventure I think if you're if you're listening to this uh, and you're a DM who's maybe thinking about running this, you're probably okay because you're going to read the adventure beforehand yeah. anyway. Uh, I think if you're a player whose DM doesn't normally play pre-written adventures, you're probably okay as well. The only people who probably would have to be a bit wary are players whose DM does tend to run pre-written stuff. Yeah. Um, you would be the pre- people who maybe maybe need to be wary that we might cover some stuff that may spoil certain aspects of the of the story for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very much the setup of it. Um, there's there's some stuff that happens throughout history with mm-hmm. some uh, some gods fighting one another. Um, one individual that was uh, born. Uh, there's, there's something very interesting actually. I heard um, that. So this book focuses if, uh, a lot on this uh, the idea of Alexandria's second moon, mm-hmm. which is called uh, Ruidus. Uh, and Ruidus is kind of this like it's a red moon. It's kind of a. It's known to people of Alexandria as kind of an ill omen whenever it's yeah. like in full like bloom and stuff like that. Uh, and particularly in this case, people born under that moon, so under that full moon when it's in its kind of what would you call it? It's full waxing when it's like fully. Because waning would be when it's like in decline, and then waxing would be full. Wax, I don't know. Yeah, wa- I don't wa- know wax, stuff. Waxing is on the way to full. Waning is on the way away from full. So full is full moon yes. is just full moon, I guess. Okay, full moon. Okay, yeah. when it's a full moon. <laughs> See, when, it, moon uh, when it's at its zenith. Wow, oh wow, okay, yes. <laughs> um uh so uh anyone born at that time, yeah, uh there is a bit of a superstition that you are doomed to be a person of ill fate or ill omen. You will bring misery or, or bad luck to people. Yeah. Yeah. We can prob- uh, we can probably go into that a little bit more and how it ties into the actual story of that specific character if we don't specifically mention how they tie into the main thread. Maybe. Do you want to? Do you want to jump in on that? Yeah, I'll do. It, I'll do it. So, um, the story opens. Uh, it gives a back like the the story synopsis gives a background as Connor said to the thing and in, in terms of like the founding of Alexandria, the the divine war, the calamity, all that all that jazz, and uh, we meet a character called Elixion who is a, uh, he's a he's a human who was born under Ruidus and and therefore is believed to have been cursed um, since birth to be um, some kind of like terrible evil um, but he basically uh, decided to take that on and go do everything he can to prove that no I will be a force for good in this world so he prayed to three um, prime day de- prime deities um, it would we literally did this like 10 minutes before we started recording it was like uh <laughs> Sehenin, um Coralon and oh, Evandra yeah I did it <laughs> I did it, it. I did yeah. it I did it the moon reaver the chains bringer and the co- and the art chart yes 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 okay cool <laughs> I remembered them properly this time sorry this was this was a thing this was a thing but yes he basically prayed to them three times and they answered him three times and blessed him more and more and he basically became a semi-divine champion of the gods um and he then 
bat, uh, got into a battle with Groomsh in Ankarel that uh, caused an awful lot of destruction and resulted in the creation of the Netherdeep. Correct. Uh, yeah, and it is uh, this, uh, and this is basically that that kind of was put to bed for uh, a few hundred years or mm-hmm. maybe a thousand odd years, and then um, now, like Martin said, with the finding of an artifact, you're kind of thrown into a, a quest where you need to uncover some of the ramifications of that battle with corruption yeah. and, uh, and the outcomes of what happened there. Um, it's very cool. Uh, let's like you mentioned, Martin. Let's talk about the rival system for a minute, because obviously yes. this is maybe one of my favorite parts of this book. Uh, it makes me want to kind of do something similar in the homebrew sense as well. So, uh, the rival system that appears in this book is basically a, a whole other adventuring party. There's a, a whole other group of people that are also on an adventure. They're a band of misfits. They're doing their their thing. They're taking jobs, but they're your competitors. Um, in a kind of in a very kind of Japanese anime sense, where like. What? Just no, just keep going. Oh no. No, no, sorry, it's just it's just a name and just keep going, please. Okay. <laughs> uh so they're they're your competitors in a very kind of Japanese anime sense where like they're not your straight up enemies. Uh, in fact both of you are working towards uh a similar goal. Yeah. Both of you are actually compelled onto this adventure and both of you want similar outcomes, but you want to be the heroes of the story, so you're kind of working against one another to see who will be the heroic team in this in the sense. Uh, I, I haven't seen this come up in a pre-written adventure before, so I think it's a really, really cool idea. I think like, um, the closest thing we've had to it in another pre-written adventure would be maybe the um, the relationships, dating sim stuff from uh, Strixhaven. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, in Dragon Heist, there's something similar where there are multiple parties they all do, they do faction to... stuff in dragon Heist, don't they yeah, yeah. but like yeah the dragon Heist had a whole thing where like um depending on the season you could have a different person you're competing with to try oh, yeah. and pull off the heist you well, know i just mean in terms of like it's like this is a character how you interact with them is entirely up to you they're both yeah. of you are kind of generally indifferent to each other until your relationship progresses to a point where that may change and it's similar yeah. here with the rivals absolutely and that's that's actually something as well is they if you read through the rival section they mention tracking uh the attitudes uh because as you said when you first meet you meet during that trial in Chicago, uh and you're relatively indifferent you're like oh where are a bunch of people there are a bunch of people we're both trying to win this contest so whatever who cares um we're, we're both going to try very hard but depending on how those interactions go and it's like this is up to the dm i think it's very cool the dm has to track individual members of that party yeah. and how they feel about your individual party members so for talk's sake if you were playing uh let's just say you're human barbarian you're currently playing martin mm-hmm. if you were playing that person and during the trial you did something to hinder uh or slow down that party maybe you collapsed a passage or maybe you left a trap behind thinking this will slow them down yeah. one of them if one of them falls into that trap or get, gets hurt um they're maybe going to think, wow, I really don't like that that lug guy because he did this to me. And it's up to the DM to track this and remember that in future encounters, I want to say mm. encounters, I don't mean combat necessarily, um, although Just, it can yeah. come to that. Oh, totally. Um, but where in future encounters when you guys cross paths, uh, maybe you will then be antagonistic towards one another yeah. uh, rather than being uh, you know semi-indifferent. And there's even like rules in there for like uh, you you might help them in certain circumstances depending how your game goes. Yeah. You might have opportunities to help them, and then you might make friends with one or two members of the of that group. And there's a there's a part as well that kind of mentions these are not bad people. 
they, just because they're rivals with you, they both you know you're both competing for similar goals. They are not bad guys. They are not the antagonists of this story. Um, in fact, they it, it's strictly uh, or specifically mentioned in the book that they are not bad people. If they, an encounter does come to blows where you guys end up fighting, they will go for non-lethal attacks. And also there is a cleric traveling with them as well. Mm. And he will use spare the dying on all of your party if they happen to get the upper hand and beat you. I know why Martin is smiling right now. And it's because of the name of this particular goblin cleric. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it's a really cool system. Uh, one other thing they mentioned about it as well is uh, is that the rivals should be praying, quote unquote, praying, uh, P or E Y, mm. um, on the flaws of the of the PCs, uh, which I think is a really really interesting. It's I like to have players pick flaws and ideals and all that because I feel that that informs a character far far more than uh, alignment, mm. in my opinion. Um, and I like that this is baked into the actual flow of the game, where it's like, what what is your flaw? Oh, you're really competitive. Perfect. This person's gonna like try to goad you into doing something stupid because you're so competitive, you know. And like as as a playing, if you're playing your character correctly, mm. you might fall into that trap and stuff like that, you know. And I feel like there could be there's a lot of fun role play opportunities there. And because these people are recurring characters. I feel like there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of fun that could be had with these recurring characters as each of you grows in strength and power, but also like maybe desperation as well as you get closer and closer to your goal. Yeah. Uh, so it could be very interesting. It's no, it's really good, and they do a really good job of like fleshing them out as characters as well. In like, because they give you like a paragraph description about each, and kind of like give you a little bit of their background, their goals, what they aim for. And I think actually, if I remember right, there is actually like a table uh yeah there's even actually there's like a <laughs> i didn't i didn't spot this on my first read through but it's great uh there's a battle chatter table like stuff they'll say when they're fighting yes. you so like yeah. a ao which is the um god some of these are very like anime but like uh ao and i say that as someone who watches anime uh ao <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god if you beat uh just this is just the stupidest joke ever just popped into my head but if just like I can just imagine, like someone beating the beating their team, and then just going LMFAO. Yeah, I'm terrible. I'm it's, sorry. Move, move along. Yeah, move it. But yeah, her her thing is okay. Team, they're off balance. Rally. <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's such like JRPG enemy. Like yeah. Pikachu, I choose you. It's quick Got attack. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you had enough? Yeah, just give up. You're finished. <laughs> like, I will never yeah. give up. Not as long as there is strength in my body. <laughs> oh God. Oh god! Like and then um, yeah, it's there's... actually something to mention about Aowash as a person. I remember when this book, when the art for the for the cover of this book first came out, everyone was like, "She looks kind of like an orc, and she's blue." Is that Chester and Ford's daughter? And everyone's losing their marbles. She is not. In fact, yeah. actually, interestingly, and I didn't realize this about Matt's world and how he treats um, Kanasi or Chanasi in his world. Uh, he treats them a little bit like tieflings, where they might just sprout up out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in this case, she has two orc or half orc parents, and mm. she's a half orc herself. Uh, well, she's a half orc. She's a quarter. She orc. was. She's a quarter orc, I guess, <laughs> yeah. uh, because she has two full, two full half orc parents. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and then, but she was just born with uh, whatever water Shinasi gene or you know uh, elemental yeah. kind of magic was in her. So that's why she's blue. She's actually just. Sorry, uh, so I, I think it's very cool. Sorry, like how two horses can have a baby and it'll be a donkey uh is that a thing i think it's a thing i've I, that's somewhere in my head 
You, you, okay. You said that very confidently, and then you said, "I think that's a thing." So, <laughs> I'm, I like, I'm not a farm guy, but it's just a thing. Like, I remember some, can two horses. I, I, I can see you're not a farm guy, Martin. Because I don't think actual people who own farms call themselves farm guys. <laughs> anyway, I just thought our parentage was quite interesting because everyone lost their marbles when they're like tusks and blue skin. Is that Jester and Ford's daughter? <laughs> I, I feel like this is definitely a thing that someone said to me when I was a kid that I have just carried forward through my entire adult life and never questioned. <laughs> Because I remember something was like, if you wiped out all the all the donkeys in the world, um, like in one go, by like next year there'd be donkeys again because horses. It's not important. We're talking about Genesis season D and so someone told you this when you were a kid, and it just stuck with you. Um. Yeah, it feels like one of those. <laughs> if uh, if anyone listening has horses and or donkeys, uh, uh, please comment below and tell Martin exactly how their their parentage functions. Do you know what? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay. You can just tell me I'm wrong. I, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, Martin, do you yeah. want to talk about the next character? Oh, okay. <laughs> Hang on, I need to scroll. Where is he? Oh, yeah. Where is he actually mentioned? He's got a little derpy head in him. I love him. So this is a... This is a... Yeah. This is a goblin... This is a goblin cleric of the Church of the Luxon called yeah. Dermot Warder. And for no one, uh, no one, uh, for everyone else, I'm sure that name just sounds perfectly reasonable for a for a for a goblin. But to me, in particular, <laughs> there's something hilarious about a goblin called Dermot. Well, like that's that. It's just funny <laughs> because that's an Irish name, particularly an Irish name you don't hear very often outside of Ireland. Yeah. So the fact that like it is being used elsewhere. But it's a it's a it's a stumpy little goblin with a derpy face is very funny. For 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 maybe of some of our transatlantic uh folks that are maybe listening or watching, that'd be the equivalent of if it was like the goblin's name was like Tim. Yeah. 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 Like Tim or, or the or goblin. Like, or like Or Josh. Josh the goblin. Yeah. Or like yeah. Brody. <laughs> <laughs> like Brody the Goblin, like it, that'd be that's that's why I thought I know it was like I it might have been because I was reading it really late at night as well and I was kind of really tired the first time I read it, but like I was just scrolling because I was reading it on my phone and I was just scrolling through my phone to read the rival stuff and I, I was like, Dermot Warder Goblin. I just went Dermot, Dermot the fucking Goblin. <laughs> but he's cool. I like Dermot. He seems like a nice guy. Um, and he's got yeah. some he's got some really cringy battle dialogue as well. If you'd like to hear it, Connor. Uh, yeah, I mean, just, just like Dermot's that same uh, cleric I mentioned, he's, yes. he's su such a good guy that even if you guys get into a fight with one another, he will use spare the dying on each of you and make sure that you all come out of the fight okay. They'll just leave you there unconscious, which is about as much as you can hope from a group of people that you just got into a scrap with. That's why you have to kill him first. Yes. Because <laughs> he what? Because he's too good? Wait, because he'll spare your lives? Yeah, you can't leave that wild card going. <laughs> No, uh, but I, I do I do like his his dialogue in, in battles is very like characteristic of that as well. Like the first thing they have is like I'm here to Wait, make sure. Before I'm... you go, uh, give give me your best Dermot the Goblin as you're doing it. I'm here to make sure no one dies. Back off. Yeah, that's it. Pretty good, I like that. That's Dermot the Goblin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah he's uh... he's fun. He's got like he's got all the things you kind of. He's actually got some. He's got a cool little feature called uh, Searing Wrath. Uh, range spell attack plus five hit range sixty feet one creature uh, two to eight radiant damage and target is blinded until the end of our next turn. 
this well let's see we're seeing we're, we're starting to see the um the implicate or the implementation 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 that's yeah. it uh, of these new stat blocks where they're not including long lists of spells anymore mm -hmm. they'll have a couple of spells they can cast you know a couple times a day and then their primary attack will be whatever their main spell is and it's usually that's kind of not dissimilar from uh, a um, sacred flame in how it works a bit tweaked and a bit mm -hmm. unique to him but um yeah it's uh it's uh, I quite I quite like him. Actually, I forgot to mention. Uh, um, Ao is actually she is kind of a ranger. She has a few ranger-ish spells, and she carries a harpoon, which I thought was quite cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Up next, we have I'm gonna I'm gonna mess this up. Galtariad Ardith. Yeah, Galtariad. That's Ardith. an there elf name. That's, that, that is <laughs> about as elf as you can get. Um, yeah, uh, they are. Uh, they're about a 200 year old drow mm -hmm. um they if you're familiar with critical role they are a part of the Kryn dynasty um they are loquacious snarky and sarcastic to a fault um i i'm do you ever watch that uh I, i'm just immediately when i read this i kind of started thinking about what his personality would be like do you remember that priest in father's head who was so ridiculously he was like over sarcastic father absolute was it Jessup? Father it? Jessup, the most sarcastic priest in all of Ireland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, every time, like, what was it? Uh, Mrs. Doyle just did not get sarcasm at all. She's like, Father, would you like a cup of tea? And he's, no, I'd rather die of thirst. It's and like, she's like, oh, okay, so. And, he, <laughs> and she starts walking away. It's just, oh, so good. Um, Father Jessup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that is absolutely how I would play this character. I'd play him as Father Jessup. I just read it was uh, like Percy Dorado. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh no you have, have to go way harder than Percy <laughs> Percy wouldn't make the top 10 sarcastic priests in Ireland <laughs> yeah that's fair um, but yeah uh, okay the next one I actually think is real. I did. I read this today mm. and I think it's one of the most interesting things in the world so we have Irvin Wastewalker who is a human mm -hmm. um, uh, he's kind of the rogue of the party um, he has you know proficiency in stealth and he's got dex based weapons and he uses poison on his daggers um, interesting thing about Irvin he used to be a bugbear I, I, how did I miss this <laughs> I, 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 I only saw it today he was uh, previously consecuted which is a thing that if you're uh, if you're familiar with critical role and the locks and all that it means that you're put through a special ritual yes. where, you're, where if you die whether it be of old age or whether you're killed or whatever your soul uh, is returned to the Luxon and then recycled into a new body. And at some point in like maybe your teen years, the memories of your past life will start to return. And you'll remember, oh, and you could be any race. You could be like, I could, in this case, he was a bugbear mm. in the Kryn dynasty. And, w and he would have to have been pretty high up in the dynasty to have been consecuted in the first place. It's only like and, the best and brightest to get consecuted. Yeah, it's all the highest echelon of nobility in society and stuff. Uh, and he got... Uh, re reincarnated back into this uh, into a human form and uh, I think he said he's just about 19 uh, at the time of this so he's only had his memories for a couple of years uh, yeah. and he's looking to like prove his worth uh, he doesn't like his human body he doesn't like how frail it is and mm. stuff compared to a, an enormous bugbear um, so he's looking to prove that he is still very capable uh, without going he hasn't been in, t in contact with his Kryn family he's like I want to show that I am capable of doing of doing something like you know decent mm. and i'm very still still have the same capabilities as i did when i was a powerful bugbear uh but without the help of his family kind of propping him up or giving him any sort of uh any sort of a boost you know it must be a weird one to remember having 15 foot reach 
Yeah, I know, right? Just for, and like, it's so funny because like he's uh, he is now a, a Dexy guy who yeah. is using small daggers that are poisoned. Whereas if he was a bugbear before, hammers. he could have been using Big like hammers. hammers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I think it's very really interesting though. That's, that's I just love the idea of someone's like, one. "Hey, can you get me that from the top shelf?" And he just he can't understand why he, when he reaches for it from the ground, he can't catch the stuff. Like, he's like oh this used to oh no oh hang on and he just like steps up on a step ladder and gets it sorry new arms getting used to it sorry like the doctor with like new teeth it's actually funny you say that new arms um because in the third tier so by the time you meet this character again late in the game and this is very cool um he comes back in by the time you reach the tier three of this character stat block and when you encounter them again late in the campaign uh he will have a prosthetic arm Ooh. because they did some other adventure and this is it's really cool to hint that they're doing other adventures that you guys aren't part of um he comes back he's got a prosthetic left arm uh, apparently he got it doing some other job that you guys were not involved in while you guys were you know separated and stuff like that <laughs> um and he just comes back and he's like yeah i got a new arm now but like if you think about it, there's a word for it. I can't remember what it is. Uh, where it's like, it's uh, it's where you have an understanding that other people are. How do I put this? It's it's having the realization or having the conscious thought that other people are like the main characters of their own story. If that makes sense. Okay. I'm doing a really. I'm doing a terrible job explaining this because I, I think because a lot of people think that they are kind of like. Not that they're like self-important, but like they see things through their eyes, and they don't often think about the idea that someone else is having an entirely different experience through their eyes and stuff like that. Um, yeah, no, I don't. Are you talking about like perspective? It's, no, there's a word for it, and I can't remember what it is. Empathy. And if I was to, if I was to, if I was to ask Tara <laughs> about it now, she'd be able to tell me because she ta- she taught me the word. Um, I will I'll, I will find out for you later, Mark. Okay. I'll tell you. Thanks. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, sorry. But that's it's interesting to think that like, despite you guys being the main characters in this story because you're the players, you know, uh, that there's still stuff going on. Um, because I, I I could just see it being a thing like someone would be like, Irvin, you have like a new arm, and he's like, yeah, we uh we had a job a while back. I lost my arm. It's all good now. And they're like, oh, we didn't we didn't know about that. And then he'd just be like, well, not everything revolves around you guys, which is funny <laughs> because they are the players. <laughs> That'd be one where I'd like, oh yeah, we're gonna put the sneaky like dagger pop up, like punch dagger pop out in the in the fist there for when the next time he fights him comes yeah, around. Just, just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then finally we have uh the the last member of the party who is Maggie Ke- Maggie Keen Eyes. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Maggie is a twelve foot tall ogre. Uh, drinks in bars and says her name is Maggie. Uh, she's basically the brute fighter of the team, yes. but she's actually a re- if you look at her stat block, she's actually wicked intelligent. My boy's wicked smart. I was just about to do the wicked <laughs> smart. <laughs> uh, but no, she, she's crazy. She, she's really good. She actually like she's looking for like a fight, but she doesn't want to just like get into a, a scrap with someone who's like equally strong. She wants someone who's going to tactically challenge her. Mm-hmm. She wants a, a worthy opponent who's like going to not just try to overpower her on the battlefield, but also try to outsmart her. And mm. she wants to beat that person because that's a true victory in her eyes, yeah. which I think is really cool. No, oh, that's awesome. And also, I always like it when they when they take a, a particular race and they kind of turn the idea of that race being like big and dumb on its head. And she's big and also really, really smart, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think... I, so they're all the rivals. You have all your typical... You had a ranger, a cleric, a wizard, a rogue, a fighter... You're basically covering all your bases there, and I think all of them are really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I immediately just reading through their stuff, I get ideas about how I would run each of them. I'd run Ao as like a member of the Rat Queens, um, <laughs> or she's yeah. effing and blinded, but she is a leader in the stuff, and she's like getting people going. Uh, I'd run Dermot. I think Dermot's kind of self-explanatory. He's kind of shy and sheepish and stuff you, like you that. No, you can know everything you need to know about Dermot's character from the expression on his face and his official art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I said, I'd run uh, Galtariad. Oh, I just noticed Chest- Dermot has Chest- like tiny, has like tiny little pube beard stash like things around his mouth like he's got like the tiniest like shittiest he's got, little, he's got little scruff he's got the tiniest shit little puberty beard <laughs> <laughs> I'd run Galtariad as Father Jessup uh, who would I run Irvin as I don't know it, he's so interesting as a character because it's like I used to be this really big strong guy you know that would just power through armies and stuff like that and now I've got to be light on my feet and quick and stuff so I have like, a suggestion <laughs> a mixture right. of um and it's, it was a terrible show but just go with me um danny ran from the netflix iron fist show because okay. oh yeah okay in every instance that he's like i am the greatest martial artist in the world and he's um uh the, the character the character danny rand is awesome but not i'll stop i'll stop i'll stop but a mixture of how danny rand is portrayed in that show and charlie day from always sunny is it is it is it are you getting that because he kind of looks like a combination of the two of them? <laughs> no, but I was like, because like in that show, like... Because I do see Charlie Day there. <laughs> I, I can kind of see why, but like more so in the show, in Iron Fist, because like he's always like barging into Colleen Wing's dojo. He's like, huge, this is wrong, this is wrong. And he's like kicking her students and stuff. And he's like, I know, like I'm big, strong Iron Fist. That kind of like attitude of like, I was a big, strong yeah. guy back, back home. Uh, combined with just like the complete, like the kind of slightly inept... Mani- like mania of uh, Charlie Day in All of a Sunny. Yeah, I, li- I like that idea because like he like, was he a looks really like, important He looks person. like he would drink fight milk is what I'm going to say. He does look like he would drink fight milk. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an All of Sunny quote for those of you who are familiar oh, with the show. Oh, God. Uh, so yeah, um, so you, you also have rival goals as yes. well, by the way, which I think is, again when i just feel like these characters are so fleshed out these these guys are the stars of the show as far as i'm concerned if i was a player in the campaign of these guys yeah. i'd be just i'd be i'd be like okay as soon as possible i'm gonna get the spell sending and i'm gonna check in with these guys every single day before i go to bed i want to know what happened i want to know what they're up to i just want to be friends with all of them because it, it seems like a really interesting adventuring party <laughs> yeah no it's like there's these rivals are more fleshed out than like 90 percent of actual pc D backstories <laughs> Uh, they re- honestly, do you know, and do you know why they don't have like their back? Actually, now now that you say it, right? What's that like? Three paragraphs ish. Yeah, that's what all D and D backstories should be. Three <laughs> paragraphs. I know everything I need to know as a DM about these characters to run them in a game. With three paragraphs, you should be able to do the same, players. Mm-hmm. Three paragraphs. Uh, but yeah, uh, so they, they also have, like I said, they have their rival goals set out as well. So here's what I mentioned about Ma- Maggie uh, a minute ago. What is her goal? Start with a true tactical genius, write a song or poem that causes someone to weep with emotion or be able to retire and never kill again. Like those are some pretty, yeah. you, you get a really good idea for character just on those three things. Like, um, um, what I really like is that like, she's the fighter, right? Maggie, Maggie's the fighter. She's the, she's the brute fighter. Yeah. Like, 
I love that her goal isn't like be the strongest in the land or un- or become an undefeated yeah. warrior. Like the very cliche kind of warrior stuff. It hers is much more centered. Like even though she wants to spar with someone powerful, it's not because they're like spar with the strongest swordsman in the realms. It's no spar with a tactical genius. She and I like that she, she just wants to spar with them. She just yeah. wants to. She doesn't even like want to beat them and be yeah. the best. You know, she just wants to spar with this person to be able to say to eat it like. You can imagine it would be like a learning exercise to her. Even if she lost, she wouldn't be upset. She'd be like, I learned a lot in that fight. I saw what you did there. That was very clever. I'm glad I, I know that now. I'm better for it. And know? like, what I love about this is like, in particular, Maggie's thing, because it just gave me an idea straight away, is that like, you know, her third one is um, be able to retire and never kill again. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, so if you, but like, if you put these rivals in just, like, stri- like we're saying, strip the adventure for parts, use these rivals in your own homebrew game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, say it's a thing where you run multiple campaigns in one world. You could do one campaign in that world where they feature as a rival and say that that game goes to tier three maggie gets her goal she retires in campaign two you could have the players come across a retired maggie who's now giving out quests yeah exactly yeah or like maybe she's offering training to new upcoming uh fighters and adventurers and stuff yeah like you uh, I, will, her, I will also throw yeah. in the I'll, I'll also throw in the one for dermot here as well uh which is just because Dermot. Um, uh, protect his friends, yeah. have a life-changing holy vision, discover that he has value himself. Oh, Dermot, man. I know. Like, you can just... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, not... Uh, so, discover, sorry, discover he has value himself, not just as someone who can help others. Dermot is the keyless of the group. Yeah. Dermot, Dermot we, need, we must protect him. <laughs> yeah, our, our lovely Gabo boy. Oh, um, uh, yeah. I do also like um, Galsariad's one because it's it's very much I like all of these are very much in lines in line with their character as 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 NPCs. But like Galsariad, match wits with an archmage, like that just so, like that's exa- that like that's exactly how that character would write that goal as well. Do you know what I mean? Like he yeah, he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't he wouldn't write like talk to an archmage or like debate an arch. It would match wits like it's a battle, yeah, like, yeah. you know, like and. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, like, and then like, discover a magical secret no one else knows and be respected by someone he respects. Like, th- these are all like really good, solid goals. They're nice and open. They give you lots of options and how to do that as well. Um, oh, Irvin, <laughs> I was just reading re- his there. <laughs> Fall in love with someone who doesn't know about his past lifetime. He's so adorable. That's that's the equivalent of like uh of like any movie where someone is like either rich or famous or whatever and they go undercover and they're like, I wanted you to love me for me. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, why did you tell me you were a famous pop star? I thought if you knew you'd only like me for that reason. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Or like every single also, also a- a- one of AO's ones is make a friend she can truly be herself around. Like these are these are yeah. not bad like i said it already these are not bad people these are genuinely yeah. like first of all well-rounded characters in in a relatively compact amount of information they are very well-rounded characters yeah. um but they're also they have genuine human wants as well yeah. you know that's I a do, very human thing to want i do love that like make a friend she can truly be yourself around kill a legendary monster which like full respect that's a, that's that's both sides of your personality being fed there fair play like i honestly yeah, I, I look at this and I honestly wish that more players would would do this, would pick out their their goals, their aspirations, their their flaws and everything. And like almost like because I feel like that section never gets opened. Even if you pick them at the start, that section doesn't get opened much. And I'm like, I wish people would just keep a flashcard on the table 
and every single time you want to like do something in the game like run it through that mm -hmm. you know put it put through that process and what what makes sense based on the things you want in life and everything you know um yeah i don't know i honestly i i've I would honest to God watch a, a television show of these guys, of the of this adventuring party, or a, a campaign of these people being played well, you know? <laughs> the gang played D&D. So &D. Oh, that no, that's fucking, that's uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Jesus. <laughs> I was nearly wondering, that's the Curb Your Enthusiasm. No, not important, not important. Uh, <laughs> what do you want to talk about next, Scotter? <laughs> uh, okay, well, I am, we're, 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 we're okay on time for a Yeah, bit. we're okay um, on time. I will, we can do a brief overview on... A couple of the monsters maybe that are interesting to us and um, okay. there's a pretty so it, it's a it's a relatively short but pretty solid list of monsters in this as opposed to other uh adventures we've gotten before like icewind dale where we had a really long list of monsters and uh, half of them were just animals who that exist in a in a snowy tundra yeah. yeah this this is a shorter list but everything on it is like a really good monster stat block to have in your campaign yeah and, and there's a couple of really interesting faction stat blocks as well there is, and, and we'll, we'll we'll get onto that in a sec. Uh, first off, all of the the creatures and monsters that we have here are there. There's a lot of aberrations. There's a lot of stuff you could use in like a, a far realm mm. aberration kind of horror, you know, kind of uh, cosmic horror setting. If you wanted to, do you want to get really um, messed up? Don't put these in the sea. Put these in space. Uh, yeah, true. Yeah. This is just change your swim speed to be like fly speed in space. I'd put the light devourer in space and bump it up two size glasses. <laughs> it's eating eating ships, like no, like it's eating stars. Oh, nice. Uh, there was a. This is off topic. There was a thing. Yeah, the, one of the reasons I got into D and D and I talked about this before was like uh, community and uh, and Dan Harmon and stuff. Mm -hmm. And on his uh, podcast, Harmon Town. They used to play D and D at the end of each episode, and in one of the episodes, they were in a flying airship, and the airship got swallowed while in the air, up in the clouds, by a thing called the Infinite Fish, and it was a it was a, a massively big fish uh, that just flies through. It's like a legend or whatever, and it swallowed their ship whole. And then like the next two adventures were them trying to make their way out of the Infinite Fish, and there was like. It had swallowed so many people that there was a little community of people living in one of the glands of the Infinifish, and they would like scrape stuff off the walls for food. And if other ships got in there, they'd use the wood from those ships to start small fires so they could cook their food and everything. It was the most ridiculous plot. But immediately when you said that, I was picturing that huge fish, and then it's like, you know, I don't know, a hundred feet tall, and that's the Infinifish. Yeah, no, I'd imagine if you're doing like a, or put it in the astral sea. And like you're just floating through a, p a patch of darkness in the astral sea, and you see lights in the distance, and they come towards you, and it looks like a big sun with like small stars around it, and then yeah. you just see the teeth. Uh, yeah, there's uh, honestly the the potential for cosmic horror stuff in this is very very strong. I will say, um, the book does have the the at this point fairly standard section in uh, session zero for discussing elements of horror and stuff like that. I think early in this adventure. You wouldn't have to worry about that too much. It's pretty standard D and D adventuring stuff. Yeah. Um. But in the late game adventure, when you get to the Nether Deep itself and stuff, it's very cosmic horror. It's very. It's quite creepy. Uh, your DM could go light on it, but I think realistically, it's it's aimed at being a very creepy um 
unnerving atmosphere um yeah. so as usual guys when it comes to session zero just you know make sure it's communicated to your players and between you and the dm and stuff like that uh what you're okay with what the adventure entails and that kind of stuff so everyone's having a good time uh i want to talk about one of the monsters which i really love Go called De death's embrace yeah it's just a big monstrous jellyfish yeah um it's a big jellyfish um it's quite powerful but the thing i i that really caught my eye about it it has a 60 foot reach 60 with this melee yeah. attack because it's got these long tentacles that come off it's 60 foot um and then it does piercing and psychic and it also you are grappled if you're a certain size uh, and if you don't escape on the next turn so it's, so if you start your turn grappled by uh sorry uh if uh, any creature that starts his turn in the death embrace space must make a dc16 constitution saving throw so there's a whole thing where it can do a reel at the start uh, at the start of every turn where it can pull you 20 feet closer using that tentacle if you start your turn within the space of the creature it pulls you right up to it and uh, you're basically that's, in the if, under it's, that's if it's grappling uh yeah so it would have yeah. to attack you with a tentacle uh of which it gets two attacks um, it would have to uh, attack you with a tentacle, grapple you, and then continuously pull you in 20 feet, which would be at most three rounds, yeah. depending on how far away you are. And then if you start your next turn basically in the same space or right up against this creature, uh, basically the underside of the jellyfish with all the singing stuff and all that, um, you are you start, you start basically are restrained. Mm -hmm. um, and if you fail that check again on the next turn, you are petrified instantly. Yeah, that's a, it's a that's a that's a, a pretty scary monster, and that lasts until the effect is ended by a greater restoration or similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also immune to exhaustion, paralyzed, petrified, and prone, and has blind sight up to six feet. Mm -hmm. It's it's a nasty one, and it's only it's only CR eleven as well. Uh yeah, it's ch it's chunky enough. Uh, I'm I'm surprised it has as few tentacle oh, attacks. The react, yeah, I I would have I would have expected maybe like. Because like there's stuff like the um the like the multi arms giant stone gargoyle that has like five attacks and I know because I ran it a few weeks ago and it missed every attack, um but no it's a uh, like yeah I would like what I was immediately thinking of the first time I thought this was um because I again I've used them fairly recently was the sky swimmer, and the sky swimmer yes. I think has three attacks and all of them are like thirty foot range, so I'm guessing maybe it's like a compensate for the fact that it, like it has a sixty foot range on its attack. I think that might be a maybe. Bit of, maybe that's a bit of balancing here going. Look, it's so it's got this crazy, crazy reach. If we give it like six attacks around and the reel, it can literally just go grab an entire party and then pull them in, and they're all petrified. Um, well, what's what's the deal with it? Because it, it reminds me a little bit of a roper. Yeah, sort um, of. Yeah, yeah. A roper has a fifty foot reach. Yeah. Uh, and a roper gets four attacks. Now they. What's the CR of a roper? Though isn't it like five or eight? It's five. Yeah. So it's it, it, it's it's got a lot less health. It's got way more armor actually. Oh my god. Yeah. So Roper has twenty armor, and this thing only has thirteen. But that uh, makes sense because it's made of jelly. You say that, uh, but have you seen the reaction it has? Uh, the reaction uh, when the death uh, embrace is hit by an attack, one creature the death embrace is grappling, uh, chosen by the death embrace, takes the damage instead. Ooh. No save. No save. That's just, unreal. Just happens. Yeah. So like, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 definitely similar enough to a roper. Although a roper has to use its action um, to pull someone yeah. up to twenty five feet closer, whereas this, this thing just does it at the start of each turn. This also does psychic damage, which I believe the roper does not. 
No, the roper does. Uh, actually, the roper's uh, tentacles don't do any attacks. They just grapple you and, and pull you, you into in. the mouth. And the mouth is in the middle, which is the big bite attack, which does 48 plus 4. Yeah, but like, you got like a barb, they'll shrug off the roper. Like, the roper bites easy enough, but like, the tentacle hits, they're a grapple, they're piercing, and there's 2d10 psychic attached every time. Yeah. No, no it's uh, th- honestly, I, I really like it. This is one of my favorite stat blocks here. I also like the art is really cool as well because, and this sounds really gross, but the art is really cool because the underside of it looks like a big tongue. I was just thinking that, yeah, it's like a giant tongue, and it, it looks like it looks like it, the whole thing looks like an eyeless, spiny mouth with a giant tongue and all these tendrils that come out of it. Yeah, no, it's a great stat block. Uh, really, really cool monster. Um, well, that's another one I wanted to talk about. Um... Uh, we see a return of a few of the ones we saw in Exandria, uh, not Exandria, uh, but in Wildmount. Wildmount, thank you very much. Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. We see the Gloomstalker is back, the Horizon back, Tortoise is back, and the Moorbounder is back, which are all honestly three really cool uh, yeah. animals that are just great to have in this. I've used Gloomstalkers, and they made they. I I know, admittedly, I used three of them and three more flying creatures, but even like Gloomstalkers are only challenge six. Like I put four level 11 party members up against the three gloomstalkers and three it was some other kind of flying back creature but like the gloomstalkers like they they pose the challenge like they're really fun and really good mm-hmm. their shriek is savage it's like a 60 foot area dc 13 can't save or be paralyzed until the end of the enemy's next turn like they lasted and like gloomstalkers they've only yeah 90 hit points my like multiple members of my party can do that in a round um, the thing is though and, and this is something I find that comes up in d an awful lot um, flying creatures can and will stay out of range mm-hmm. you know oh, um, that's how I played them they, they would literally just fly down one of them would try the paralyzing shriek if that didn't work it would fly back up um, yeah. and then when it did work the rest would descend and start attacking yeah like they're, but I mean, they're that, really that, cool. that kind of makes sense of like a, a pack hunter perspective. Yeah. You know, they would try to do something like that too. But like uh, um, their shadow step thing as well, uh, teleport up to forty feet to an unoccupied space it can see. It already has forty feet. It already has eighty feet of fly. So it's got mm. it's got one hundred twenty feet of movement for the cost of a bonus action each turn. True, and also like the thing is, it it doesn't have the flyby ability that some flying creatures have, but but it does. You could fly down, make your yeah. one bite attack and one claw attack, which do both. Uh, piercing, slashing, and necrotic, mm-hmm. and then bonus action move away without taking that attack opportunity. Literally, you know? literally exactly what I was doing with them. They would fly yeah. down and either shriek or claw, and depending on how they went, then they would go and bamf like 40 feet up, no reactionary attacks, and they're out of range already. They're a really fun creature. I really, really enjoy them. I really like the Horizon Back Tortoise. Yes, oh my god, he reminds me so much of the turtle, of the turtle, turtle, Jesus, turtle from um, God of War. Uh, yeah, or I was gonna say the lion turtles in Avatar as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. But like, I know, yeah. I think it's just because, yeah, it's just it's the, that that I love that turtle in God of War so much. He's so awesome. I I just I yeah I think I think they're really really cool. Um, I, just as in in concept, I think they're really brilliant. I think it's really fun world building that they're that they use them that they're so 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 big like that they the the Korean Dynasty would be like let's just put a bunch of like siege weaponry and stuff on top of them and a couple of towers up with goblins and let them go to town like yeah. and it's just it's basically like it, it's essentially like a much slower version of the of the the oliphant and the mummikill in um in it the oliphant and the mummikill are the same thing right they are yeah yeah they are okay um oliphant I, is I, what people outside of god why can i not remember the name of the place 
Um, d- d- yeah, uh, Oliphant is what non-Southerns call them. Oh, the, right. not Haradrim. That's the name of them. The Haradrim. Haradrim. Yeah, the Haradrim. Yeah. Um, the Haradrim call them uh, Mumakil, and then everybody else calls okay. them Oliphants. I think. That sounds about right. Again, open to correction, please. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, here's a really cool one. Uh, and I'm honestly surprised this appeared here and not in the Wildmount book, because it feels like it's more pertinent to the Wildmount book. Mm-hmm. Um, the, monast- the Monastics of the Cobalt Soul. Yes. We get three stat blocks, all really, really cool, by the way, um, of different members of the Mobalt... Of the Mobalt? The Mobalt Mold. Um, Cobalt Soul. Um, we have the Monastic High Curator. Mm-hmm. Uh, the monastic infiltrator and then the monastic operative um, and they all have really cool stuff something interesting about all of them uh, which doesn't quite track with the subclass itself but is still interesting nonetheless um, all of their unarmed strikes do force damage yeah I noticed that as well yeah it's really it's really cool and as well actually their ranged attacks uh, range attacks as well do I think as well a couple of them have ranged attacks where they can throw darts and stuff and yeah. those darts do force damage like oh my god that ability that the um the monastic high curator has is really really cool um brain burn uh, brain burn yeah it, honestly do you know what um and th- this reminds me of the inquisitor, inquisitor of the yeah because they, 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 they do the mind fire thing where you they do a ton of psychic damage here that, that brain burn is very similar to that uh 86 psychics a lot like yeah. um and it recharges on a four to six as well and it can target up to two people mm, and it's a dc 18 it, that's a really really good ability that's a really good ability yeah. they're only CR10 as well uh, yeah they're relatively low yeah. but they're great though I mean they have that they have some of their their, their force strikes oh, are basically I didn't I, oh. I didn't spot that for multi-attack curator makes three force strikes and uses brain burn each of those four strikes does 2d10 plus 6 force damage yeah these things do not fuck around no absolutely not and then like they have what, see the, do you know what I love about the the cobalt soldiers in general they are they they kind of tap into both wisdom and intelligence you know in terms of how they are monks that but they are curious about the world and they want to learn things mm. so like on top of all those really badass abilities they also have detect magic detect thoughts identify and scrying as spells that yeah. are prepared i love that and they can even cast detect magic at will actually um but that makes sense because again you kind of yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, and I, if you... I, I, I honestly, I could see myself building, uh, if I ever played in the campaign, I could see myself building a Cobalt Soul Monk and taking like Magic Initiate Ooh. to get a couple extra, you know, spells that are like inquisitive, that like, can detect magic, detect thoughts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and like if you actually look at the Monastic Infiltrator, then they actually have Disguise Self at will. Yeah, which is perfect because they're meant to like infiltrate uh, into organizations and find out information. They're basically really badass spies and they also have Detect Thoughts, Invisibility, dimension door and zone of truth which is awesome because they can extract the truth from people yeah. um they think of guarded mind what is that automatic can't you can't read their thoughts or determine if they're lying that's really cool oh for a spy yes that's very yeah very, cool. very very cool uh yeah that's the infiltrator and then you have the opera the opera is the lowest level one of them mm. which is basically just a monk with very few extra abilities Barring the fact that they they do a little bit of force damage um, on their darts, yeah, and they can make a retaliatory strike of the action. Mm. Great stat blocks, though. And look, you know what? You have these guys here. If you go down a little bit further, we have another group called the Scholars the, uh... of All Sight. Well, them too. Well, I was actually going to say the occultists of the Familian Dream. You mentioned the occultists. Oh yes, I think you mentioned sorry. The occultists earlier, but they're 
they're, we won't get into what they're about too much because that that's these, going into story territory. These would be the guys that first discover who first took Iridium from the uh, Nether Deep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and honestly, in terms of like, because we have we have a couple of cultist stat blocks. They're not in great already. They're really not they're, great. They're very they're fine, but they're just very Sorry, basic is all. Rather, I, I'll 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 take that back. They're very good in for they're very good for low level parties. Yes. If I want to, I, like, I don't do cult storylines anymore because the cultist stat blocks are too shite. Because <laughs> my party could get just, like, one of them could just go in, do you want to take this cult? Yeah, I'll take this cult. And just go in and go, bang, and they're all dead, like. Uh, whereas these guys actually have a little bit of extra oomph to them. Um, Ooh, the Stolent has a really fun reaction. Uh, reflect Agony. Uh, when the exolent is damaged by a creature within 60 feet, the creature must make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw, taking 3d10 psychic damage on a fail, or half as much on a success. That's really good. That's kind of reminds me of the ability that Aerith has as a uh, it's the, as a blood hunter. Yeah, it's part of the brand castigation. That's it. Yeah, where you take uh, psychic damage yeah. equal to the intelligence modifier of the of the blood hunter if you attack anyone, them or anyone near them is that right yeah yeah if you if think you think it's, it's i think it's if they attack them or anyone within five feet of them yes yeah you take just extra and that's just like however many points the psychic damage open up off, which is nice yeah um that's cool you also have the occult initiate mm -hmm. um who are a little more like that's, that's great art actually by the yeah. way for that's a vaccine i love that that oh my god that's a that's a caracal oh it is yeah yeah, yeah. oh caracal caracal yeah uh, i was only thinking recently i'd love to like include like a caracal tabaxi or uh, uh, like a dire i think uh, who, who's that artist that oh is this is it jim something they're gonna have to be a little bit more specific <laughs> uh uh is this is it jim zope oh i don't know uh he's a he's a comic artist um while while you're looking at it, uh, about the occult initiative initiate they've got a really really fun um recharge ability as well called arcane blast recharged on a five or six the initiate creates an explosion of magical force in a 20 foot radius sphere centered on a point you can see within 120 feet so basically the same as fireball um each creature in that area must make a dc 13 deck save on a failed save the creature takes 3d6 force damage and is pushed 10 feet away from the center of the area on a successful save it takes half as much and isn't pushed i really like that like it's nowhere near as powerful as fireball but still affects the same area but it has the utility of actually pushing people so like yeah you could push them off a cliff with this like <laughs> oh i, I mean honest, honestly i think uh the idea of pushing or pulling people is mm -hmm. so underrated in D, D. people don't ever like you can tactically line up people and stuff and lightning bolt right through them if you're smart about how you attack them and stuff you know yeah um i think that kind of battlefield manipulation kind of goes over a lot of people's heads uh and they're just like no i've just hit them enough they'll die so it doesn't matter <laughs> <laughs> um and there's all the the occult silver tongue which is uh, similar stuff again, similar spells. Once a oh, day, can, once a day, can summon an earth elemental. That's a, that's a slightly weird thing, I think, for a cult that doesn't seem to have too much of an elemental feel to them. That's that, that's me. That's just me. That's just me. I'm, I'm a bit. I'm a bit. Uh, I'm not going to say peculiar, but I, uh, you know, I, I tend to keep things on theme or on brand, and that seems a little bit. Uh, uh, out there mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense um, and you, as you mentioned before we had them and then we have also uh, the scholars of the all site 
um, who are like a, an archaeology and kind of fact-finding guild within Ankarel. Yeah. Um, so, so one thing I wanted to point out about these three groups, right? Mm. Uh, or rather these three collections of stat blocks. I wish they did more stuff like this. They do every now and again, but they don't do it very often. Mm. I like... I like when they're like, here's kind of the ranks almost, or the positions within a guild or organization. We had something here's like an, in Strixhaven again with the um, we had like three stat blocks from each of the four houses. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I like that because I mean, it means that like one thing I find sometimes is like if you put players up against some goblins, for example, early on, right? Yeah. Uh, but you, let's say you want to do a, a goblin campaign, and maybe it's only like level. That would like, be really fun, actually. That would be like super. I mean, fun. say a high level goblins would be amazing. Uh, but like let's say you want to do or like low level go- low level goblins started out in legendary gear so what they still only like a challenge rating one but they have like they're like plus three swords they're and... like the definition of glass cannons in that they have like 15 hit points but they're hitting you 40 <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> well yeah I think uh, like what I like about these is that like you could you could feasibly go up against one of these guys so let's just look here mm-hmm. uh okay scholars of the of the all of the all site um their first one is scholarly agent that's a challenge rating one mm-hmm. the next one is an excavator which is a challenge rating three and the last one is a mastermind which is a challenge rating five right that is that scales up nicely to the point where from levels like maybe one up until five you could reasonably be facing these guys now they're i think they're actually typically good but mm pointful sense um like it Actually, means that it because says, they, it says any alignment it does say any alignment um but you could feasibly be going up against this group as an antagonist in your story for like a good few levels you know yeah. um same thing with the other with the other crowd as well because we go with it's a challenge rating two on the occult initiate and then a challenge rating six on the excellent and then a challenge rating uh eight on the silver tongue mm. and i'm like Again, that that does you for a wide spectrum of like levels that you can be, you can make these guys the central enemy or antagonist of a campaign. And I, I just feel like again, I'm 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 always kind of like kicking myself when I'm like, oh, I'd like to put people up against orcs, but like all the or I'd have to put them up against like ten orcs of a very high level to make the combat even remotely good mm-hmm. for people who are like you know level ten and above. Yeah, I get you. I get you. And I, I just, yeah, I, I think I know they're designed to be low-level enemies, but I'm like, oh, I'd, I'd love, like, what if the big bad in the campaign was a kobold? Like, that'd be amazing. A kobold and a dragon mech. That'd be, uh, that, that'd be like really, really good. Like, what if he, what, what if he was a kobold and he was like just the orchestrator of everything? What if he had like a twenty-three intelligence and he was just the most, and, and he was just like doing a bit of a. a What's he got to from Sherlock? Um, uh, oh God, not Sherlock, but Sherlock. Uh, uh, oh, it's it's like Moriarty. Moriarty. What if he was the Moriarty of the entire campaign, and you were there fighting like giants and drow, and a dragon invades, and you kill all of them, and it turns out that this kobold orchestrated the whole thing because he's just a criminal mastermind. Oh God, I suddenly see that's, a new. I suddenly see Connor. I was just about to say, I suddenly see Connor writing a new campaign tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My next campaign, the, the bad guy will end up being the goblin that you spoke to in, in session one. And he's like, I took an interest in you. And so I made your lives hell for the next 20 levels. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like if I ever wanted to make God an NPC. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. That's for stat blocks. Okay, like I said, great, really, really good stat blocks. And I, I, I was fairly on board. I know some people didn't like it. I'm... I'm fully on board with the new design of stat blocks. 
where they're not lumping in long long spell lists um, they're just going here are some spells that they cast and here are some magical abilities mm-hmm. they just have which aren't necessarily spells I love it yeah. I think it's really great um, I like and I think this, this is one of the best monster collections we've got in a book uh, for a while I think yeah um, and I would say is like I, I think just going back to the whole thing of their changes in spellcasting now kind of stripping the big long list out just giving them more sort of like magical abilities almost I think that's better personally because I think it differentiates stuff from between players and non-player characters much more 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 uh, clearly and with stuff like like it could like there's legitimately a scenario where it could devolve into fireball fireball counterspell counterspell with cultists yeah. like and, and like spell casting um stat block, monster stat blocks is like a very very legitimate chance where it can nearly devolve into like the magic the gathering where like i play this card so okay so i play this card but how i play this card which triggers off the first <laughs> like, yeah so you know you can get it that like spell counter spell counter spell counter that counter spell kind of stuff with, with um with those and what i, I just like like for example the scholarly excavator right so because his whole thing is like he's He's like an excavator. He like digs up ruins and finds the history and the artifacts and all that stuff. So he deals double damage to structures, which is just brilliant. I love that. That's a yeah. beautiful touch. But then also he has his thunderous warhammer melee attack, um, which is just like rather than just smacking you with a hammer, it's thunder damage. And then yep. he has a telekinetic toss. Uh, the excavator targets one medium or smaller creature weighing 300 pounds or less that isn't being worn carried. The target, which must be within 30 feet of the excavator and visible to it, is magically pushed 20 feet horizontally in a direction of the excavator's choice. If it's a creature, DC 13 strength safe to resist the effect. Like, I love that, that he can just go, like, get over there. Or get over here. Hey! But, but that, that's why my mind went immediately, because he would just bonus action do that, pull you in 20 feet, line up with the shot of the oh, hammer, God. and smack you as you come in. <laughs> oh, God, that'd be awful. <laughs> so just... good. Ooh. Uh, so very quickly uh, there's a couple of magic items there's not a lot there's not a lot of magical items here I think there's an okay list there's some interesting stuff um, do you want to talk about the, the the main magic item it is a it is a vestige as they're called in, uh, in the world of Alexandria sure thing um, so this uh, this is probably the biggest baddest magical item that's in it there's a few other ones that are like nice little um, nice little kind of uh, references for people who've been watching Critical Role for a while like there's the earrings of message from Campaign 1 and stuff yeah. but a uh, big bad one is the Jewel of Three Prayers and you will find this if you run the adventure like you will find this very very early on when you run the adventure and like pretty I much- think it's pretty safe to just say that like that is that is the object you will find in the grotto like oh yeah no I said that earlier sure. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. no like you'll find this um, as with all vestiges you most almost almost always come into possession of them in their dormant state which means that they have lost the majority of their power and abilities um, until they find a suitable person who can reawaken them to their previous glory so here we have the jewel of three prayers uh, it is a vestige that is an amulet uh, born but that is an amulet belonging to uh, elixion the character we were talking about earlier um, and it's a symbol of his covenant with the three prime deities as mentioned Sehni, the Moonweaver, Evandra, the Changebringer and Coralon, the Archheart uh, so when the jewel is found, only Sehenin's power thrums are in the dormant heart, and the power of the other two deities waits to be reawakened by a hero or heroes who can follow in Elixion's footsteps. So it's got three stages, as all vestiges do: uh, dormant, awakened, exalted. Uh, well, all of rather rather all Matt Mercer's vestiges do, because other people do vestiges as well. Uh, in its dormant state, the jewel of three prayers is a glittering golden disc attached to a fine golden chain, and the chain will, as all magic items do, resize to fit the wearer. 
In its dormant state, you gain a plus one bonus to AC. While wearing or holding the jewel, you can use an action to cause it to shred, shed bright light in 15 foot uh, radius and dim light for another 15 feet. And then the light will ex uh, last until you extinguish it with no action required to do so, which is a nice touch. Uh, the jewel has three charges and regains all charges at dawn. While holding the jewel, you can expend one charge to cast invisibility, uh, which is pretty nice. Like like uh, AC boost, uh, you know, uh, light source, and we and cast invisibility. Pretty solid for a like a, a first level vestige. Uh, yeah. Once you have awakened that, and normally the advancement of a vestige or um, uh, an arm of the arms of the betrayers is the other are the other ones the evil vestiges um, is done through like moments of like extreme usually like extreme emotion like like rage or triumph or um like a character discovers like a facet about their destiny so like for the example like yeah I, you know, as you progress through the story this will naturally evolve as you hit certain plot points basically yeah um, it must be level specific as well if you want so, to go yes that route. Yeah. you can totally do that as well but i believe to get wants to get this to exalted would go beyond the levels of the adventure because it's three to twelve i believe isn't it uh it's three to twelve i believe is yes yeah, it's, yeah. if you're going by raw rules for vestiges they don't hit stage three till 14 i think or it's like at least when they say it to start introducing that i haven't read it up in, in, in quite some time so i can't remember entirely <laughs> i've been doing some work on my campaign recently i'm fairly sure it's yeah i've been looking at okay. it a bit. um so once it awakens though uh, in the awakened state, the jewel has received the blessing of Avandra, the change bringer, and three delicate spires unfurl from the jewel centre, like the buds of flowers opening in the spring. Three lapis lazuli stones rest like dewdrops on these three and these spires. The following benefits of the jewel improve: so the AC bonus becomes a plus two, and the number of charges increases to five, which is all really good. Um, and it gains the following additional benefits now while you're using or while while you're wearing or holding it. You can expend one charge to end one of the following conditions on yourself, grappled, paralyzed, or restrained. And when another creature you can see within 60 feet of you fails a saving throw, you can expend one of the jewel's charges as a reaction to enable them to re-roll the saving throw, possibly turning a failure to success. They have to use the new roll. So good to give you like um, party utility as well, in that you can be like, no, re-roll that, re-roll that, re-roll that. Just for well, a reaction. I think that, that kind of makes sense because... Um, uh, because your this is kind of a central plus mm -hmm. MacGuffin almost yeah MacGuffin so, is definitely a word for it. yes uh and the thing is like if you're going to have that item in your party and it's central to the plot who gets to carry it might be a bit of a debate yeah. but if it's something that can benefit all people even when one people one person is wielding it then i think there'll be less of a debate about that you know totally 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 um, and then finally, once you get it to its exalted state, which is its third and final stage, in this state, the jewel has received the blessing of Carl on the Archheart. A gleaming emerald surrounded by a halo of gold appears in the on the jewel. The, the jewel's benefits improve to a plus three a bonus to your AC, and the charges now become seven instead of five. And it gains these additional properties. And just as a note for clarity, it still has all the previous ones mentioned as well. Uh, you gain the ability to breathe water and a swimming speed equal to your walking speed. Each of your allies within 30 feet of you gains the ability to breathe water, water and gains a swimming speed equal to its walking speed. As a bonus action, you can expend one of the jewel's charges to target yourself or another willing creature you can see within 15 feet. The target then teleports to an unoccupied space of your choice within 15 feet of yourself, along with any equipment they're wearing or carrying. The target appears in a flash of golden radiance, and each creature of your choice within 5 feet must make a DC 18 con save. Uh, on a failed save, the creature takes 4d10 radiant damage and is blinded until the start of your next turn. And on a successful save, they take half as much and aren't blinded. 
Uh, you can see how that uh, that ability to breathe and swim and stuff uh, is very cleverly placed uh, at the right time for this uh, artifact before yeah. you get uh, get into the late part of this uh, this campaign. Pre yeah, pretty much right when you're getting your feet wet, this thing should uh, pop out into third stage and let you all like swim and breathe and not be crushed by the horrendous pressure. Because that is actually nice, something nice. that they call out very specifically early on um, in the book is that like this place is dark, it's full of awful creatures, and it's under an extreme amount of pressure. These are the rules for for extreme pressure. Look, check them up here. Um, yeah. and I think it's pretty good. That's probably the yeah I would say the biggest and baddest. I really like it. Um, it it's, seems it's a re it's a really cool vestige. Yeah. Like it seems like slightly underpowered. I would say compared to some of the other vestiges, but I can totally understand why. In that this is a vestige that gets to its third stage before you hit level twelve. Yeah, like you said, normally you would be a higher level before you get to that exalted stage, but. Because it needs to fit within a two, uh, a three to twelve uh, story arc, yeah. um, then it, it makes sense why they would dumb it down a little bit, but uh, let it uh, yeah. fully evolve uh, earlier on. Uh, Martin, mm -hmm. yes, Connor. That's all the time we have for today. Ooh, wow, sorry, we didn't even get to get into like there's medals of medals of merit and fragments of suffering, which are both pretty awesome and cooler. Like there's a couple extra bits we didn't get to. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I didn't think honestly, I did not think we'd be able to talk about <laughs> as much with this book today because i we, we said we wouldn't get into the heavy story beats of it or anything like yeah. that um but we actually ended up talking quite a bit about uh about the rivals i thought we spent a lot of time on but i i, I that's my favorite part Dermot. of what i've heard of this book Dur Dermot the Goblin. <laughs> uh, i just i just think they're really really great um Dermot and his american cousin brandon <laughs> yeah brian, brian brody sorry it was goblin. brody it was brody the goblin yes <laughs> Uh, oh god! Yeah. Uh, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, <laughs> yeah. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask, stories you'd like us to share, or topics you'd like us to cover, uh, you can tweet us at MyPlayersPod on Twitter. You can find us on our, our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Republic, and Google Podcasts. Uh, Martin, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, mostly, people can find me on the internet on Twitter at So Sorry It's Over, and that is it. I nearly did your thing for Twitter there, Jesus. Uh, and that's in the bottom right hand corner of my screen. You can also find me on the My Flares Pod official Twitter account, which is at My Flares Pod, uh, down in the furthest right hand corner of our screen, uh, right by the Twitter logo. Um, but and oh, of course, you can always find me here every Friday, six pm. Irish time for a new episode of the Mike Flares podcast. I don't know why I'm spacing my words out this weirdly. Connor, what about you? Uh, you can find me pretty much on Twitter, uh, mostly at zero point Connor, Z E R O P O I N T C O N O R, one N, very important. And as Martin said, uh, every 6 pm Irish time uh, on all the aforementioned pa uh, platforms. For a new episode of the Mike Flares podcast, guys, thank you so much hey. for joining us. Um, definitely recommend checking out uh, this book if you want to pick it up on TND Beyond or in your local game store. Um, definitely worth a buy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's all from us. Uh, we will see you all next time. Have a good day. Later, folks. Mm -hmm.